episode 150 of the A News podcast, covering anarchist ideas, activity, and conversations from the previous week on anarchist news. Could be useful to anarchists and the anarcho-curious. Feedback and or constructive criticism at podcast at anarchistnews.org. See you at your favorite non-sectarian anarchist site with anarchist commentary anarchistnews.org. A warning in general, these bits are written by two people and read by one of them and a third person. The pronoun I in this podcast is confusing and contradictory. The author may not be dead, but at least here is mighty hard to parse. Have fun. What's new this week? Letter from anarchist prisoner Juan Sorocci in Italy to Marcello Villarroyal. I did not pronounce that correctly. From AMW English. Marcello Villarroyal is a very long-term anarchist prisoner in Chile. Soroche is an anarchist prisoner in Italy who has had a previous letter published on A News that recounts how he was tortured while being arrested. This letter is one of solidarity and awesomeness. Quote, Although we are prisoners in different latitudes of the planet, I know that our struggle continues with our heads up and with dignity. That is why I send these simple words of solidarity and courage to the unruly, beaten by the repression of the Chilean state. The brutality of torture, rape, murder will not be forgotten. And the most important thing is that they haven't stopped the fight. This demonstrates the courage of women and men who continue to fight with dignity." Unquote. Write an anarchist prisoner today! Use some of your trolling time to reach out to some amazing fucking people. History is no longer on our side. An interview with Jerome Bachet from Mute Magazine. French theory! Woohoo! Quote, This insight implies a paradigm shift in our conception of the revolution and more broadly of historical time. It has recently been said that there is a major cleavage within the thought of emancipation. For some, it is necessary to preserve or rediscover the classical parameters of modernity, and in particular, a conception of history understood as a triumphant advance of progress. It certainly seems increasingly difficult to uphold such an image, yet some persist, in spite of every obstacle, in pushing this line, defending accelerationist theses according to which to exit capitalism, it is necessary not only to continue in the direction of history, but even to move as fast as possible by intensifying the most advanced technological and organizational characteristics of capitalism. Full speed ahead, comrades! On the other side of the dividing line are all those who, following Benjamin, consider that we must completely abandon an untenable, modern progressive conception of history. To the arguments that Benjamin put forward in 1940, many others have since been added, and today it is ecological destruction that visibly and dramatically transforms the glorious march of progress into a mad dash towards the abyss. All this has important implications for the way in which a possible revolutionary process is conceived, but also, more broadly, for the relationship between present and future or between past and future. We no longer have history on our side, we are no longer messengers on behalf of any sense of history that would inexorably lead us to salvation." Unquote. So, obviously someone who is thinking and writing about this stuff is going to appeal to some of us. Separate note, am I alone in tasting the nihilism here? Regardless, Jackie gives this interview a well-worth-reading recommendation. Take that for what it's worth. A better body is possible. These anarchist biohackers want to build it. From Vice. Transhumanism meets woke culture. The author reports on a conference named Please Try This at Home that attempts to move biohacking a bit away from the white middle-class playground that apparently preponderates currently. Quote, now in its second year, PTTAH was organized around the change its participants wanted to see in the world. Part of that meant that the conference was not run, but co-created, kind of like a biohacking potluck. The explicit goal was to ensure that attendees, rather than organizers, had control over the content available. 
This resulted in a much wider range of voices deciding what got on the schedule and correspondingly, a much wider range of perspectives represented, discussed, and addressed. And that ultimately was what it was all about. Autonomy in determining what happens to your body, how it's shaped, and how it moves in a space. One example was the materials being distributed by Power Makes Us Sick, PMS, a research group focused on developing practices around autonomous trans healthcare. PMS's work is designed to be shared widely, remade by anyone with a printer, and contributed to by anyone who wants to. The result is links to sources of no questions asked estrogen, synthesized by trans people for trans people, narratives and stories of navigating and bypassing medical gatekeeping in a range of countries, advice on surgery prep, not just for the person being operated on, but by also community members who want to support them. It's about separating medical needs from hierarchy and infusing that hierarchy with community wherever that can't be done." Unquote. The author seems like a true believer, or maybe just isn't a great writer, and some of the arguments weren't compelling to me. The connection between empowerment and taking home one's removed body parts, for example, also the significance and lasting power of the communities that are likely to be formed by this kind of conference, though really that gets to a criticism of the overloading of the word and perhaps concept of community. But I'm pretty sure I'm not the audience, so okay. If Words, a poem by Eric King from supporteric.king.org. Quote, if words are as dangerous as bullets and sharp as knives, can we start filling the pages? Grinding our pencils to stubs, turning ink into guillotines, prose the ropes onto their wrists, and rhyme these prison walls to paste, because nothing else seems to be working, heads aren't rolling, the streets are on holiday, maybe enough words can spark a million fires in our hearts, which would create a million fires in the banks, a million convicts in the streets, not giving a fuck about a voter's box, giving a fuck about having a life. Our words can break these chains? Then gather our dictionaries, there aren't enough thesauruses in the world, I need to fight more, I need to write more, my tongue has been shackled, I haven't resisted, I haven't insisted. More words, more battles, more victories, more poems, more struggle, more bumps. We'd be fighting with our minds, dismantling the system that strangles us, then turning those words into a life more important than burning and bombing. Enough magic, love, growth, and life, we can grow into a space worth existing in. Our words can get us free. Unquote. Here's hoping. What means this art strike? from the Libertarian Labyrinth, some pieces from 1994 when Sean was a grad student. As always, it's interesting on a few different levels, just the content, I'd never heard of or noted such a thing as an art strike, much less pondered the idea, a time capsule of thinking, what did the 60s demarcate in the 90s and postmodernism and so on, and also the stage and thinking of someone who continues to write and think today. Quote, if we are to give the art strike more than just a cursory look or a summary disqualification, we will have to keep these various critical calls in mind, particularly as the strike's participants seem to have come from a particular cultural milieu where the legacy of both the American movement and European leftist avant-garde, political and artistic as well, seem to have come into particularly fruitful contact, conflict, with a variety of postmodernisms. One needs only to read a small amount of the literature surrounding the art strike to get a sense of the richness of its theoretical and historical heritage. What remains difficult is knowing if the art strikers were engaged in a vital continuation of the traditions they cite, or whether they are merely engaged in the game of empty citation that is frequently identified as characteristic of a certain kind of postmodernism. A case in point is Frederick Jameson's work where postmodernism is required to stand in for not only the real conditions of life under late capitalism, 
but also for the philosophical positions, whether radical or reactionary, that respond to those conditions." Unquote. If that doesn't make you want to learn more, then okay. Anarchist comrade Gabriel Pombo da Silva arrested from Anarchist Worldwide. Well, here's some fucking bad news. Da Silva was underground slash in hiding for about 18 months. He was arrested in Portuguese territory. I don't know what that means. Quote, with an international arrest warrant, of course, pending a sentence of more than 10 years, a personal vendetta converted into legal details, Gabriel continued to fight and make his own contribution to the anarchic struggle via his texts. He is currently being held in a cell at the Judicial Police in Porto, awaiting his appearance this Monday at the courthouse where his possible extradition to Spain will be discussed, unquote. There is a link to his texts in the story. Free Gabriel Pombo da Silva, long live anarchy. How to talk to the media, if you must, from its going down. This is a lovely how-to list of concepts, terms, and practices for how to deal with the media, which, as a post by RFA quotes Wolfie Landstriker as saying, is never a good idea for anarchists. Is anarchy a means of reforming this world, or is it a violent rupture with current systems, associations, and assumptions? The media, which in this article refers to mass or corporate media, even in the very best case scenarios, can only ever be reformist, at very best. Yes, I repeated that for emphasis. This story includes a link to the Chomsky movie Manufacturing Consent, which has obvious connections to the topic, and also to Johnny Depp's movie The Rum Diary from a novel written by Henner S. Thompson, which seems like a stretch, but okay. Sprinkling how-to lists with fiction may be a good tactic, but this seems like a wrong-headed approach in general for anarchists, only acceptable for people who have forgotten that anarchist is not the same as activist. Quote, in the end, no matter how good we get at writing press releases and articulating great talking points, we'll still be pushing our narratives inside a mass media machine that wasn't made for us. Likewise, even good journalists can be held back by bad editors or drowned out by far-right trolls. Ultimately, our greatest power lies in building up our own infrastructure and being able to spread information through our own networks." Unquote. That is still more posy than I think makes sense, but yes to making our own media. Arson attack against the school of the local municipality police from Anarchist Worldwide. Action! Quote, For years now, the Locolini, aka municipal police, have had almost the same powers as the other repressive forces, patrolling the territory and making investigations and arrests. For this reason, on the night between the 22nd and 23rd of January, we set fire to local municipality police vehicles inside their school in Milan, located in Boeri Street, partially damaging some internal structures. Actions like this one show how it is still possible to attack the power, in spite of more and more advanced and numerous technological means of control and an asphyxiating patrol of the cities. Armed forces and guardians of order are not symbolic objectives, but concrete and daily builders of a deadly system based on the exploitation and systematic extermination of the last ones." Unquote. I'd say they're also symbolic, but that's a friendly amendment. Bremen, Germany, police station attacked in solidarity with Linksunten in the media from Anarchists Worldwide. Quote, Bremen, on the night of January 28, 2020, with the fire at the pig station in the Steintor Quarter, we are responding to the ongoing state attacks against our structures and the banning of Linksunten in the media. Ban will be heard at the Federal Administrative Court in Leipzig in the coming days. The result is irrelevant to us. We do not believe in the constitutional rules regarding freedom of the press and freedom of speech. We don't make demands. During moments of fundamental social changes, the German state will always show its ugly cop face. Attack the authoritarian state, 
was the slogan at last weekend's demonstration in Leipzig. We took note of this and acted accordingly, because who represents the authoritarian state better than its cops? Sick. Who does every revolutionary movement face in the street? Unquote. So let me just state that cops are certainly a valid target. Some might even say one of the better tactical targets, as so many people besides anarchists hate them. But it's worth noting that they're also, for the same reasons, the easiest conceptual target, and overemphasizing them is simplistic. Feel me? Two defendants in network case married in prison from Anon. I read this headline and thought that the prisoners married each other, but no, two inmates married their outside sweeties in what I hope is a means of staying connected and solidifying support, rather than bending to state-sanctioned relationship expectations. Oh, I don't really care. Good for them, and good luck to them too. Interestingly, there is a footnote in this article that reads, referring to some 1984-esque mislabeling, quote, Russian media are required by law to identify this perverse fiction by the FSB in this way, unquote. I anticipate the U.S. media trying to work around the state in similar ways in coming years, but I'm a known pessimist, so okay. The Institute for Advanced Troublemaking Anarchist Summer School. From Institute for Advanced Troublemaking... A partial list of workshops, including ones on art, decolonizing anarchism, direct action praxis, repression and resilience, Cindy Milstein on trying anarchism for life, exclamation point. And then there is a list of blurbs from previous attendees to sell this conference like a book. Quote, I don't think I've ever had a time in my life where I felt so nurtured in mind, body and spirit at the same time. Next quote. The anarchist summer school was complete immersion into a consistently supportive and experimental anarchist mindset that left me feeling transformed. This immersion changed my heart and my resolve. Next quote, there was a culture of care. There was a large amount of warmth and acceptance. I could see anarchist ideals realize themselves in the ways that we were treating each other, which is rare. Next quote, everyone was willing to listen, learn, and grow, unquote, etc. Yeah, sure, if you're like into that sort of thing. Audio and video, Final Straw, Mitch on the Gun Rally, Alexander Ross on Conspiracy Theories, an hour and 40 minutes. Sean talks about reading the names of people killed by police in 2019 and the potential impact of such kinds of projects. Collective honoring can be reality checks. The first segment with Bursts is a continuation of the talk with Mitch, Antifa organizer in a follow-up to the 2A rally on January 20th. That lasts until 35 minutes in. Then there's a talk with Alexander Reed Ross, Mr. Slippery Slope himself, who considers himself a conspiracy theory expert. It doesn't seem like any other context is necessary to understand how to read ARR and how he got to the fallacies that he promotes. There's a phrase that labels what happens to cops once they become cops, how there is a bias that is inherent to the position that can fundamentally change or validate people's perspectives once they join a police force. Totally relevant. This post has on-point comments, including one that sent me down a rabbit hole of retractions from the Southern Poverty Law Center, What the Problem Is with Keith Preston, the War Nerd Radio Podcast, and so on. You know, for people who have a fucking afternoon to waste. OMG! Immediatism, Episode 40, Dark Virtue, Taoism, and the Rejection of Civilization by Ramon Alani. 50 minutes from Immediatism Podcast. A reading from Ramon Alani's Essays from the Tiger's Leap, quote, Resistance to civilization has existed as long as civilization itself. There have always been those who reject this way of life. Critiques of technology, urban life, agriculture, domestication, and symbolic culture can be found in cultures all around the world and throughout history. As enemies of civilization searching for ways to understand the nature of the world in the 21st century, I believe we can draw on the work of those critics of the past. 
There is perhaps no region on earth where civilization has been more entrenched for so long than China. Likewise, I believe that there is no more potent critique of civilization from the ancient world than Taoism." Unquote. 20 years anniversary of indie media, an hour from Elephant in the Room, a reflection on the genesis and evolution of indie media projects, quote, the success of the indie media website and the Seattle IMC newsroom behind it soon inspired the formation of local IMCs and websites in other cities around the world, where they duplicated the publishing platform developed for Seattle. By 2004, there were over 150 autonomously operated IMCs in some 50 countries across the globe, which all ran websites that branched off the mothership IndieMedia.org. What started in Seattle grew into a network, unquote. I'm starting to think more and more about what the benefits and limitations of anarchists aping mainstream media are, and unfortunately this episode isn't helping me with that task. A large chunk of the audio is stripped from people involved with indie media projects being interviewed on Democracy Now!, cringe, most of whom went on to become professional documentarians, journalists, and writers, and none of whom really mentioned anarchism at all. I'm glad to know that there are some active indie media projects out there like Athens Indie Media, but I'm not so sure that the overall story is one of victory. But then again, what is? <laughs> From Embers, new content in January 2020. A bulletin listing the four episodes of From Embers produced in January after a December hiatus. Episodes include interviews with, quote, Stu, a founding member of Dragonfly Farm. Matt Hearn, a longtime writer and community organizer in Vancouver, an anarchist and anti-repression organizer about how conspiracy charges have been used against anarchists in Canada and the United States, and John Clark, a founder and longtime organizer with the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty in Toronto, unquote. Conspiracy and anti-repression organizing, an hour also from From Embers. A, quote, conversation with an anarchist and anti-repression organizer about how conspiracy charges have been used against anarchists in Canada and the United States, some challenges and lessons learned from supporting J20 defendants and others, the Tilted Scales Collective's upcoming book project representing radicals, a guide for lawyers, and more, unquote. Always good to keep an ear open when folks who've been through legal processes talk about the experience for your own potential run-ins with the system or otherwise. A particular mindfuck brought up during the interview describes the situation of anarchists being forced to explain why they won't take plea bargains, become snitches, etc. to their lawyers, even though doing so might be in their supposed quote-unquote legal best interest. Now Audiozine. Four hours from Resonance Audio Distro. The Invisible Committee's 2017 book, now in audio format, quote, Now, 2017, is the phantom chapter to the Invisible Committee's previous book, To Our Friends, a new critique from the anonymous collective that establishes their opposition to the world of capital and its law of labor, addresses current anti-terrorist rhetoric and the ferocious repression that comes with it, and clarifies the end of social democracy and the growing rumors of the need for a coming civil war, unquote. Yay, French people. So the topic of the week is anarchist federations. In 2020, let us flip the script. Let us, in 2020, at a national gathering, somewhere in the middle of the continent, between Texas and Chicago, form a solid, big tent anarchist gathering with these principles. One, let us be united in the purpose of demonstrating anarchism as a politics of action. Two, let us not get bogged down in the specifics of hyphens. All anarchists are invited. 
DIYers, red, green, and other anarchists who wish anarchism to live as an action ideology. Let us pick some areas to focus our attention on, like New Hampshire for the libertarians, perhaps Vermont or Oregon. Four, let us federate defensively for a state and exchange-free world, for a free people, and for doing things with dignity. Let us call this a meager first step. What is the second step? What would you do? And that's the topic. Yeah. So um, if I were going to take this seriously, which obviously it's so half-assed, it's hard <laughs> hard to imagine taking it, uh, you know, even as an invitation to do anything, because, of course, no one has provided a, a location. Um, I would... Uh, yeah, you know, when you think about something like an anarchist federation, you know, the first question is like, what's it for? And I, I can imagine the second step and sort of like that this is what you would do if you were going to go to such an event is to talk about what's it for. Like, like as an example, I think it would be interesting if anarchists said that what we would like to do is create a free state, like um, yes. the New Hampshire libertarian thing. Right. But but obviously, what's a 2020 answer to that question? You know, what's an achievable goal that we could imagine in our lifetime anarchists doing together where a federation actually makes any sort of sense at all? Yeah, I mean, so the, this obviously was written, as you were saying, as a, a sort of half satirical provocation. I guess the first thing to me about it is if you're not coming together for some sort of goal, but sort of just coming together to have some sort of huge conversation where we figure out what we would do. I would much rather see that happening at, at the very local level, mm. you know, people getting together at that level rather than a national gathering. And if, if, if the idea is to push some kind of overall anarchist strategy, I don't see the way I, I actually do see that as a, a potentially very worthwhile project, but I don't see it happening at some sort of grand meeting. I mean, that just seems like a nightmare for, to try to have that many people come together and and agree on a project. If you're coming together at that scale, there has to be a, a common projectuality to it already. Well, I guess if I, if I were going to be so brave as to sort of pick one and say, you know, other people should want to do this, it would be something around climate change. Like, how okay. could we talk about an anarchist project around climate change that is reasonable to achieve in our lifetime mm -hmm. and um and i think that there are a couple things there you know uh, there's so many bad ideas around climate change you know so like um the new totally <laughs> removing single-use plastic bags uh -huh. sure um uh you know that seems to be the direction that this conversation is going into what is a more holistic you know less individualistic uh, or, or or consumer choice sort of option you know, like, like to me, that would be, uh, something worth doing, I guess. Yeah. I actually, you're catching me by surprise with this one. I could see that working in a sense of coming together and sharing strategies, skills for local resilience, um, uh, higher food security, community food security yeah. strategies, that kind of thing. And, and if you're coming together, not with the idea that we are all going to, uh, join forces in a common project, but instead we're going to share skills, ideas, and values, and then go our separate ways and figure out how to implement those at a smaller scale. Then, that, yeah, sure. 
Sure. Let's yeah. let's meet in Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the the problem is, of course, that it's very hard to sort of link this conversation around climate change politics or anything that could be done around climate change with an anarchist politics. To me, that is the, sort of the first challenge to overcome, because, you know, if we're talking about how do we grow food nicely, um, I, it just seems like a lot of anarchists are not in, going to get involved in that particular mission. Because of it being such an urban phenomenon? Or... Well, because anarchists are urban, that's point one. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one thing to talk about throwing seed bombs places, but... Uh... <laughs> the uh, obscure but... Fukuoka reference. <laughs> no, actually, here in the in the Bay Area, there's a, a known poster sort of in the Bay is basically to teach people how to make seed bombs and oh, okay. throw them in okay. abandoned lots. Okay. But sure. uh, um, I guess the point is, is that it's sometimes uh, hard to find the politics of something that seems like it's been uh, surrounded by a, by a niche of people already. <clears throat> so like urban gardening as an example is mm-hmm. like a known niche of, you know, like if you want to do urban gardening, Look at those people. You're going to be doing it with them, mm-hmm. like them, or don't do it. Um, <clears throat> I think that a lot more people live in non-urban or traditionally urban situations. And, and and there are a variety of ways in which gardening is not happening by those people. Mm-hmm. But is, gar- like, is gardening an answer to many problems? And that's, of course, an open question to me. Yeah, yeah. Um... So I'm noticing the fact that we've we've gone so off of this by saying, mm-hmm. well, we actually don't like this and here's a possibility of something that looks very different from it and maybe we're for this or maybe not. So is there, I guess I want to bring it back to the topic and say, is there any way that we could see something like a countrywide, more or less informal anarchist network being a a functional useful thing and what would it do would it be media based would it be strategy based would it what could this social organism look like that we would actually like well i'm going to be even more pointed than the the last phase which is to say that i think that an idea that you build a federation with three principles let's say one (laughs) a climate change answer or at least something that that people feel like that they can sink their hands into and be involved in Two, a media answer. And, you know, what would it look like to build a federate federative or, or more or less like large uh, media imprint similar to the love and rage newspaper. Uh, And, and obviously we can talk about some specifics. And then uh, the third one being, uh, I think that there being a more explicit involvement in self-defense yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, so a lot of these lend themselves to sort of thinking about them as educational projects, which uh, I have mixed feelings about, but I, I get why, why people sort of go there. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, I actually I, see I, that as something most anarchists could agree with those three things. No, sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I came of age, uh, like, like I literally came of age at the love and rage, 
um, conference that happened where Love and Rage turned from a network to a federation. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you can imagine, it it sort of, um, at that time, it was very strongly pro-network and uh and you know would still that would still be the side i would fall on the particular thing i'm just i just think that it's worthwhile to do some thought exercises that sort of say if we were going to do some stuff that's bigger if we're going to think a little larger than we normally do what would that look like like is there a way in which post-left anarchists as an example would get involved in something that every anarchist in the u.s sort of thinks is an important sort of thing and i think that you know whatever in this context, global climate change, uh, self-defense and media projects. I think that everyone could, could, could get involved in that and figuring out how to do that in an intelligent way could demonstrate that anarchists are able to make uh, maybe more mature political judgments than, than sometimes we do. Yeah. Yeah. And we could overcome that, um, FBI characterization that I've, uh, always has struck at my heart in a funny way of, Anarchists occasionally demonstrate a limited ability to mobilize themselves. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and but I do, I, I, you know, just talking about this, I think, yeah, why couldn't why couldn't we agree on those three things, and why couldn't there be more cooperation across the continent on that basis? Um, so I guess, uh, do you want to say something about where you see Love and Rage having succeeded versus failed? As as a past example yeah, of because they they did try to be countrywide, correct? I think the difference with love and rage, and, and at least you know how I parse uh, what this is proposing, is that love and rage really did sort of see what they were doing as a revolutionary mm-hmm. sort of project. Like there are three things, like a violent, were, abrupt overturning of the existing. Yeah, like like. Can't, is it possible in the in the very large space there is in the United States to build the kind of political feder, federative model that, that that would be necessary to make any sort of political impact? And all of their um, checkboxes that they ticked were more or less about just getting more people. Mm-hmm. So their three boxes were Zapatista support, right. prison, prisoner support, and... I can't remember if the third one was just putting out the paper or, but, but like, like all their stuff sort of was more like, like, <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm just not exactly sure how, how you add Zapatista plus prisoner plus putting out a paper makes much of a political movement for the kind of world you want. Whereas, you know, we're going to be talking about, about climate change the rest of our lives, full stop. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so if, if you're not in that conversation, then you're choosing to opt out of, basically one of the most important things happening on the planet. Yes. Um, You know, having a media component is necessary to a political project, full stop. Yeah. And then, um, and armed self-defense is sort of something that all, all anarchist perspectives has sort of been playing around with. And partially there, there's an important politics of like, how do you decentralize the monopoly on violence Yes. And, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's more important than talking about smashing class relations, because that sounds like fancy Mars talk. Yeah. And you, you can't really be a, a conscious political force if the 
first group of people who are willing to use physical force against you can just completely roll you over. So you, I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. really though, and and that's a hard thing. And it it's it is a um, it's a hard thing, particularly for Americans, because we live in a society with an actually really strong and reasonably effective police force, such that we are depending on where you live in the United States, depending on your local milieu, there are obviously exceptions. Many people don't experience the need to violently defend themselves on a regular basis. And I think that that uh, this aspect of it is especially relevant at a time when the United States appears to be, or sections of the power elite appear to be saying, okay, now it's time for us to take the guns. Mm-hmm. Now we can do this. And and I think that is actually going to be one of the major sociopolitical events in our lifetime as well, is the effort to really crack down on disarming the population. Hmm. I am provoked. I am, but you, but you didn't catch me yet. Fucking troll. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, anything else we want to say about this? Uh, did you have anything that you were excited about about in the comment section? Uh, possibly. Uh, you know, we're not going to scroll and look. And okay, I yeah, yeah. not uh, not at the moment. Are you just going to edit this out then? Usually not. <laughs> All right. Uh, there, there's nothing else that comes to mind for me at the moment. Cool. Well, thank you very much yeah. for this conversation. <laughs> See the hungry should have food. I speak for many. And I say no one should have seven homes. Some don't have any. Though I may find myself stranded in some strange place with not but a vapid stare. I remember the world that I know. This week's podcast was sound edited by Lino Mabel. The What's New was written by Jackie and Greg and read by Chisel and Greg. No editorial this week. And we thank Aragorn and a friend for their help with the topic of the week. To learn more, books, pamphlets, and other material are available at littleblackcart.com. See you at anarchistnews.org and or the IRC chat room linked on ANU. How many people are wanting and waiting and fighting for their share? They hide in their ivory towers But we are everywhere Religions and prisons and races Borders and 